This is Darrell Lalia, and you're listening to the Before the Man's Podcast, episode 107. Are you ready to be the master architect of your life? Are you ready to design your business and invest the needs that create the lifestyle you've always dreamt of? Are you ready to learn from entrepreneurs and millionaires who have achieved a certain level of success? Hey, this is Derek, location-independent entrepreneur, and you are listening to the Before the Millions podcast. Hi, I'm Gina Lofton. I am an investor, and you're listening to the Before the Millions podcast. Hey there, my name is Heather Havenwood, marketing coach and global entrepreneur. And you are listening to the Before the Millions podcast. Hey, this is Mark Asquith, the host of the 7 Minute Mentor podcast, global entrepreneur and all-round geek. And you are listening to the Before the Millions podcast. I am MC Lobsher, the Cashflow Ninja, and you're listening to Before the Millions podcast. You're listening to the Before the Millions podcast. Whether you're looking to invest for cash flow or build an online business that allows you to be location independent, you've come to the right place. Mr. Hollywood himself presents the Before the Millions podcast. And now your host, DeRay Olalaye. What's going on, BTM Tribe? DeRay Olalaye here. And man, we are back for a new week, a new installment of the Before the Millions podcast. Now, last week, I let you guys in on a quick life update because I'm always trying to challenge myself in new and different areas. So I am in the middle of a seven day water fast. Now, today is like what day three. So I'm basically about 72 hours in and I am not allowed to eat a single thing. I'm not allowed to drink a single thing, but water. It's been intense. I feel weak, but I feel energetic. I feel slow, but I feel sharp. I feel hungry, but I feel empowered. It's crazy. Now, I was just recently looking at the different states that my body has been in since I started this fast. So at the 12 hour mark, I entered a state called ketosis. Many of you have probably heard of that state. And at that state, my body starts breaking down and burning fat because there's no longer fuel. There's no longer food. There's no longer calories that I'm intaking that it can use for energy. So it starts to break down some fat, which is a good thing. By 18 hours, I've switched from fat burning to generating significant ketones. Now, ketones are really, really good. I'm not going to get into a whole lot of this on this episode because this is not a health podcast. So by the time I hit the 24-hour mark, my cells started increasingly recycling old components and breaking down misfolded proteins. So I'm basically fighting diseases that I could possibly have in the future, such as Alzheimer's. My body is now fighting off the negative effects of possible diseases. Just amazing. So then by the 48 hour mark, with very few calories, carbs or protein, my growth hormones are leveling up and they're five times as much as when I first started my fast. By 54 hours, my insulin has dropped to its lowest point and my body increasingly becomes insulin sensitive. And by 72 hours, which is the hour mark that I'm approaching now, my body starts breaking down old immune cells and generating new ones. Guys, the power of a fast is amazing. And I am fasting for a total of 168 hours, possibly a little bit longer. So I'm not even halfway there yet, right? But it's been an exciting journey so far. Just thought to share that with you guys really quick before we get into the episode. Now, that's a quick life update. On today's show, we are interviewing Mrs. Kiera Gray. Now, Kiera is in the middle of multiple 
multi-million dollar projects. Like she is the definition of an entrepreneur who is buying back the block. Now, for those of you who are not familiar with that term, that is a term in investing when individuals like to invest in forgotten neighborhoods or underserved communities and build up these communities to maybe their former prestige or take them to a place that they haven't yet been. But when buying back the block, you're improving the community around you. And and Kira has found a way to do this in a unique way with creative financing. And I mean some really, really creative financing. So we're going to talk about some of Kira's creative financing methods on the show. We're going to talk about how she's finding and how she's leveraging OPM, other people's money, so that she doesn't have to use her own money for her deals. We're going to talk about why she advocates for creating relationships through meetups and other in-person networking events. I mean, this is powerful stuff. When you think about real estate, I want you to think about relationships. And that's a point that Kira stresses on the show time and time again. You know, her knack for connecting the dots and building relationships to procure funds for her deals have been amazing. We're going to walk through all of that here on today's show. We're also going to talk about her plan to rebuild Baltimore, why it's important to have an abundance mindset and how gentrification can help underserved communities if you do it the right way. Up next, I have to read to you guys a new five-star review left on iTunes. This review is by Lil U-R-D-U and He says, excellent podcast. This show allows people who are not yet millionaires to virtually have daily conversations with millionaires. It offers outsiders a window and insights into the business realm, people who cannot directly access these environments. It reminds me that regardless of my knowledge level, there are certain aspects about my business that I'm unconsciously incompetent about and offer strategies and avenues on how to access this information. Keep up the good work. You have a lifelong subscriber over here. Awesome, awesome, awesome review. And that is exactly what we love to do. We love to bring the insights of entrepreneurs and millionaires from all over the world. Conversations that we wouldn't typically get to have with these people. We're getting them to tell us their biggest secrets, their strategies, their mindset. It's been simply phenomenal. We're coming up on two years, guys. We're coming up on two years. I can't wait for the two year anniversary. It's going to be amazing. But guys, These five-star reviews help out more than you know. So if you haven't yet left your five-star review or your review in general, do so as we speak. If we're not already connected on Instagram, head over to beforethemans.com forward slash Instagram and let's connect. I have a ton of new content that I want to put up on the gram for you guys. So definitely connect with me on Instagram at beforethemans.com forward slash Instagram, or just go to Instagram and type in my name, Daray Olalia, D-A-R-A-Y-O-L-A-L-E-Y-E. And if you are a brand new investor, meaning that you have zero properties to your name, you have no rental income, maybe you have one property or two properties, but you don't have that system to get you consistent leads every single week. You don't have an accountability partner. You don't have a team. You don't have a coach pushing you. You don't have the softwares that we use that most people have no access to. And you're just like, dude. I need my handheld through this whole process to getting started from getting started to having a full fledged real estate system and actually possibly getting my first deal done within the next few months. That's something that you're interested in. I have a webinar I'm hosting and I'm actually hosting it tonight. So if you're listening to this podcast episode on the day that this releases, you're in luck. Head over to beforethemans.com forward slash webinar and I'm going to reveal to you everything I just described, how to build your team how to build the proper real estate system, how to get deals in your sleep, how to make more money in a fraction of the time so that you can travel the world, so that you can take care of your family, so that you can build generational wealth. 
This is all going to be over at beforethemillions.com forward slash webinar. I cannot wait to see you on the live webinar. I don't do very many live webinars, so I'm excited that we're doing this tonight. And if you're like, DeRay, like I missed the webinar, I'm just not listening to this podcast episode, head over to beforethemillions.com forward slash webinar, and you'll receive instructions on when I do my very next live webinar. But if you're catching this because you're a loyal listener on the day this episode releases, dude, it's going to be a fire webinar tonight, beforethemillions.com forward slash webinar. Now, let's get to the tip of the week. DeRay's tip of the week. Okay, so I actually hate these types of things when I see them on social media, but this one is actually practical. So I just got done reading The Compound Effect by Darren Hardy, and I want to lay out this scenario for you guys. Would you rather take $3 million today in cold hard cash or a penny today that doubles every day over the next 30 days? Now, obviously, I'm posing the question because we all know that it's smarter to take the penny. Now, to say we know it is one thing, but let me actually lay down the facts. Okay, so day one, you have a penny and your friend has three million dollars. How are you feeling and how are they feeling? Right. Like even like up to day five, you've just like amounted 16 cents. Your friend has three million dollars. Day 10, you have five dollars and 12 cents compared to your friend's $3 million. I feel like your decision to pick the penny doubling over a $3 million payout on day one may not have been so smart, but let's keep going, right? Day 15, your penny is now worth $163, but that's not a whole lot. I mean, $3 million. Okay. Day 20, it is worth $5,242. That's a whole lot of money for a penny to double every single day. But yet and still, that's nothing, literally nothing compares to $3 million. So it sounds like your friend has bested you, right? Day 25, five days away from day 30, day 25, your penny is now worth $167,772. Again, still nothing compared to that $3 million your friend has. But what's interesting is after day 30, your penny is now worth 10 million, almost $11 million just by doubling a penny every single day for the next 30 days. So again, most of us would have already picked the penny because we know how these things go. And then even as I conceptualize it for you, we're just like, yeah, that makes a whole lot of sense, but we're not acting in accordance to what we know. So I think about the fact that every time I pay an expense, every time I get some new shoes, every time I go to the movies, every time one of these expenses come up that's not really an expense, but I like to treat it as an expense. Every time one comes up, that's $45 or $85 or $100 or $300 going out the expense column and not into my investing column. So it's not really that $45 that that I'm spending, right? And I'm not saying we shouldn't have a good time. Trust me, guys. I love having a good time. But what I'm saying is that realize the power of things going out of your expense account because that $45 in, in, in 20 years and 30 years with compounding and interest would be thousands, especially earlier on. I'd compound as much as possible, as quickly as possible. Now, if you're like, hey, I don't have any extra right now to start saving and investing. If you haven't already started accumulating profit, I don't care what your source of income is, whether it's your W-2 job or your business. If you haven't already started accumulating profit, a percentage of your total revenue going straight to profit, You need to start doing that so that you can start investing today and capitalize on compounding. 
hey, look, it might be tight at work right now. And I had Andre Hatchett on the Before the Man's podcast, I think back in February. And he runs a really dope educational platform. More specifically, he teaches people how to become notaries and how to run their own mobile notary business. And I believe that is episode 96. It's called Lifestyle Notary Masterclass, Another Path to Real Estate Wealth. This is something I'm recommending for those of you who have a little bit of extra time after work, or maybe you're an early on wholesaler or a fixer and flipper and deals aren't coming in as frequent as you'd like them to just yet, but you still need some type of way to pay the bills in the in-between times. This is a great way to make some side income. Making 75 to $200 per appointment might be really appealing to you right now and it may help you start saving and start investing and better yet you may grow a full-fledged mobile notary business now what's a notary a person authorized to acknowledge signatures on certain documents i'm sure you've come in contact with many people who have their notary license in your lifetime it's one of the easiest things to do in the world and what makes it really cool is that you can do it on your own time at your own pace whenever you want however you want as frequent or as infrequent as you want. It's crazy. So if you're like, Dorey, I love the compounding concept. Funds are tight right now. I'm just trying to find a way to squeeze out a little bit more every single month. I think this would be a great opportunity for you to start putting anywhere from 75 to $200 in your pocket every single appointment. So if this is something that you're interested in, head over to lifestylenotary.com. That is lifestylenotary.com. Again, guys, compounding is essential for wealth creation. I suggest that every single one of you read Dan Hardy's book, The Compound Effect. It's very similar to Grant Cardone's book, The 10X Rule, but it brings on certain nuances that I think you would really enjoy. If you're not already investing, if you're not already compounding, please get to it. The earlier, the better. Now let's get to the show. And now your feature presentation. Right, Kara, how's it going today? Yes, good, good. Thanks for having me. I'm super excited. We kind of we were talking a little bit before the episode, and now I know your niche and your expertise. And I know that as we start talking about some of these different creative financing methods, a lot of people are going to be interested in what, uh, what you have to offer. But let's kind of take it back in the time machine. Let's figure out how you got into this game. What made you decide that real estate was something that you even wanted to pursue? Yeah. So growing up, I grew up in a small town in Pennsylvania, not too far from Amish country. For those of you who are familiar with PA, so I grew up with a lot of farmland and I watched those farms get sold and turned into housing development. So I, I watched those transitions happen. And I think that that's kind of what planted the initial seed around real estate and building communities and developing communities. And so Right after college, it was my my now husband and I were talking about what it was that we saw ourselves doing and, and where we saw ourselves going long term. And real estate came back up as a potential opportunity. And we mapped a lot of our goals and what we were trying to accomplish against a ton of different methods to really get out of that nine to five grind and real estate fit most of them. And so we decided um, to pursue real estate. It was around June of 2012. And by October of that year, we had bought our first property, which was a, a three-family shell. And we went through a whole bunch of stuff with, with that deal. But, but it really was those kind of little seeds that were planted as a, as a child, honestly, that, that grew into something more than I had initially anticipated for sure. For sure. I love that. What were some of those goals that you had? And you were kind of, it sounds like you had like this, these parameters, and then you were looking at these different investment vehicles and you were trying to see, well, does this fit inside of my parameter? Okay, it doesn't. Let me throw this away. And you finally found real estate. So what were some of those parameters? 
Yeah. So starting out, I had, um, so I was, I was less than a year out of college, to be honest, but I had a really dope job. I was making good money. I was in the corporate space. And, but what I quickly realized was that retiring from there and trying to get a pension and and relying on stock options and stuff really wasn't where I saw myself going. I wanted more, more control over my own destiny rather than kind of going through the day to day of working corporate life. And, for real estate, there's there's so many ways that you're able to take advantage from a financial perspective, right? You have cash flow, you have appreciation, you have the opportunity to have someone else pay off your mortgage, that debt pay down. There's so many of these, these gems from real estate that really spoke to what I was looking for. And that was to be able to transition from my nine to five. And I set a goal that I was going to leave my, my full-time job by the time I was 30. And through really, you know, hard work, focus, perseverance, all those, those key mindset words. I left my full-time job at, at 27 where I was making six figures, right? Where I was doing pretty well, but we, we hustled and, and built our portfolio. We have 20 rental units now. I have five active real estate construction projects where we're doing flips. So we have six, five active flips three on the back burner, right? We have a lot going on. And so I I stay really busy, but we were able to build that portfolio with a foundation of rentals to be able to replace my income from my full-time job. And that was was one of the big things that I set off doing was being able to work full-time in real estate by the time I was 30. And I killed that goal. So <laughs> I, love that. I love that. That is awesome. You talk about destiny and controlling your destiny at such a young age at that time. Did you know what your destiny was? No, I, I wouldn't say I knew where my destiny was. And, and honestly, I can't say I know what my destiny is now. Right. But but what I do know is that I had more to give than what I was giving at work. Right. I knew that there was more value I could add in my community. I knew there was more value that I could add to my own pockets, right? I knew that there was more and we were really, really focused on how we position ourselves to push that envelope and challenge ourselves to continue to grow and learn and get to that next level. How many of your coworkers like looked at Kira and was like, oh my goodness, this is crazy. This is amazing. And they immediately followed your lead. And how many, how many of them just till this day haven't done a thing? And what do you think about the dichotomy of the people who take a leap into this and the people who just kind of sit on the fence and like, that seems cool. That seems amazing, but I can never do that. Yeah. What's really interesting is we, we did not tell family, friends, coworkers, anybody that we were investing in real estate. And so we probably had about six or seven units. And the reason we did that is because I didn't need to hear what Auntie Susie had to say about what I was doing with my money, first of all. And it was very, it's very hard for people to understand and grasp the fact that at 22 and 23 years old, we were doing $120,000 renovations. So we can talk about the first deal and get into that if you want, but we were doing very large projects very early on. And that's just a lot to grasp from people who have never gone along that journey. And so we did not tell those people until we were at a point where nobody could really, you know, ask too many questions or say too much because we had been there, done that and, and started to build a really solid foundation. But beyond that, kind of as we are interacting with people, be it on social media or at meetups or just doing things around Baltimore, there are people that are saying that they're, they're interested in real estate and some people take action and, and some don't. And I think the difference between those two is 
one, having the right support and, you know, someone to cheer them on in one way or the other. So we have like our, our next gen program, like our next gen people who um, take a, an accelerator program with us to invest. Um, they have us, right? They have someone to cheer them on and push them and hold them accountable to their goals. And the second thing that that's really big that holds people back is fear. It's the fear of the unknown. It's the fear of failure. Sometimes it's the fear of success. And so helping people understand what that fear is, recognize it for what it is, and, and learn how to push through it in a way that helps you navigate the highs and lows of not just real estate, but life, entrepreneurship, business, and help them understand that the fear shouldn't be your roadblock. It's just, it needs to be channeled into energy to get stuff done more so than the energy uh, to, to hold you back. So between not having the right, the right people, the right team, the right support around you, and just not understanding how to navigate fear, I think those are the two biggest things that hold people back. No, for sure. I think you hit it right on the nail. And I want to use a real life example of a time maybe you were fearful and it didn't hold you back. So let's talk about, let's even just take it to maybe your, your worst entrepreneurial moment today, like a failure that you've had, you know, that, 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 and I call it failure because it's apparent failure, but it's. Yeah, no, I understand. I was, look, I've been in this, in this industry for a little bit. So there's, there's tons of failures and some are small and some are big and there's, there's lots of successes as well. But I was literally thinking through, all right, which one do I pull out the hat this time? But there is, you know, what's really funny, and this is actually a story I haven't told before. So we bought the block in Baltimore, right? Which is really, really cool. There's a block in Baltimore. We own every single vacant on that street, which is really exciting and and we we kind of are the are the staples everyone reaches out to us for everything over there so we need to put our name on it but but through that project although even embarking on something like that is a success in and of itself there's been tons of challenges in and things to navigate along the way as any you know multi-million dollar project has and um in this one in particular we've had issues with contractors that we've worked with for years that have, you know, kind of run off or whatever and other filing bankruptcy, we're chasing people down, right? And being able to navigate the failure of, you know, you just pulling together a team and really focus on success and things falling apart and needing to push through those things and, and understand all right, you got to make that money back if they ran out with, with some cash or, you know, you have to adjust, you have to um, build your team up, you have to keep everyone excited, you have to keep everyone focused. And as, you know, as the leaders, we're kind of like, oh, crap, right? <laughs> now there's something else to deal with, but kind of keeping that motivation, understanding what it is that we, we set out to accomplish and, and going for it has been huge. But we've had tons of failures in that project in particular, but we're still going, right? And that's that's what's really important. Give me a particular instance. Give me a day in which Kira mm-hmm. was like, I don't know if I could handle this. Like things are going through the roof and mm-hmm. kind of paint me this picture of this day and maybe some of the things that you told yourself to get yourself out of that position or like even, even just, you know, I think about the fact that when we feel overwhelmed or when we feel unfocused or focused temporarily, there are certain things that we do as individuals. And if we can pass those things off to other people, maybe it can help them through their process. So if, it, if it's helpful, what questions do you ask yourself when you find yourself like super overwhelmed and you're just like, what's next? How do I get out of this? What do I do? Who do you turn to? What, what are some of those thoughts and belief systems that you've already implemented? Yeah, I'll tell you the first thing I always tell myself, like it's I guess it's kind of like a mantra, but when things are kind of, when crap's kind of hitting the fan every once in a while, I constantly remind myself this is only a point in time, 
right? So when you think about all the challenging instances you've had, all your failures or whatever, you've gotten through them all, right? It's you got to the next day and just reminding myself that this is only a point in time. And as you kind of continue out the day or the week or whatever, you look back on it and the biggest thing seems so much more small. And so a specific example, our very first deal, we managed to buy wrong, right? We were like, how do you do that? Well, we wanted to save a couple dollars on closing. And so we got a quick clean deed instead of a warranty deed. So we're, we're the first to say we learned real estate in the school of hard knocks and tuition is high as I don't know what, I'm not going to curse on your show. <laughs> so, um, and so um, we bought the property wrong with a quick claim deed. And within a few weeks of closing, there was an $8,000 tax bill and a $3,000 water bill that had to be paid and we had to pay it. So before we could swing a hammer, we had to come up with an ele- another $11,000, right? And at this time, um, we had maybe a few weeks before found out I was pregnant with Michaela uh, during that first deal. And so it's like, boom, like kind of one thing after the other. And for us, what we what we did was we, we grinded it out, right? We figured out, um, we saved, sacrificed, made tough decisions. Um, figure out how to do how to make it work, but again, it was it was those types of experiences where while you're in the thick of things, you're like, oh crap, what am I going to do? As you continue to grow and experience more and and find success through your failures, you understand that that was only just a point in time. That was a few few tough weeks, few tough months, and we got through it and kept going. We still own that property. Um, we had a nonprofit lender that gave us the funds to do that $120,000 renovation, which, you know, was, was huge, right? That gave us the, not only the, the boost to get, get the project done, but also the confidence of understanding the power of sharing your story and your vision and pushing through. And, um, and so we were able to, to kind of take what was a really tough situation, which is that, that big bill push through and make it to the other side where we still own that property cash flows beautifully. Right. And, and we made it to the other side. Boom. I love that. I love that so much. Why do you, why do you think it was important for you to learn that lesson? I mean, you talk about the difference between a quick claim deed and a warranty deed. Why do you think it was so important for you to learn that lesson at that time? Yeah, I think that that project, honestly, we learned so many things the hard way. I think it was setting us, it was setting us up. It was a foundation. We were able to learn a lot of things the hard way into which I ain't going to do that again, right? At this point. So, um, you know, buying the property wrong, we went into it, we were planning on wholesaling and realized that that neighborhood had been, um, had a really tough reputation. Um, and nobody wanted to buy it from us. And we saw the value in the gem of investing in the hood and investing in those people and taking a vacant eyesore and making it a home and making sure this community looks the way it should to reflect the beauty of the people who live there. And so we we fell in love with this whole notion of of investing in forgotten neighborhoods, like we call it. And so, you know, that, you know, that failure of not being able to wholesale a property, but then still finding the value of it, investing in the hood and understanding what value we could add in communities. And then we learned, you know, then we had to figure out, all right, well, how are we going to get the work done? How are we going to get this $120,000 to renovate the house? And we started to talk and tell our story. We learned the value of building relationships and that building those relationships resulted in connecting with this nonprofit that gave us the money to get the work done, right? So all of 
become staples and foundations of everything that we do now, but they all re- they all came out of some of the hardest decisions and, and the challenging pieces that came from that very first deal. And so it was really that foundation. That's why we always talk about foundation and how we were able to build process, albeit the hard way. So we want people to learn better, faster, and smarter, but but also build a really solid and strong foundation. I love that. I love that. And I want to, I, I kind of keep wanting to move on from this first deal and, and kind of move on down your journey, but this yes. the story is so fascinating. And one more, one more question. When it comes to that nonprofit, I mean, what, tell me about that conversation. How did that conversation take place? Yeah. So we were networking, surrounding ourselves because we didn't tell family and friends. We wanted to surround ourselves with real estate. And so we would go to meetups. We would get out there. We'd network with people. This was pre-Instagram, YouTube, university stuff, right? You had to get out there and actually talk to people. And we did that and we were consistent. Don't scare the people. Yeah, people are scared <laughs> of people now, right? You gotta actually talk. <laughs> and so we did that and we were just telling people like what we saw in this neighborhood, what we we're trying to accomplish and, and people just gravitated to it. Um, they bought in and they bought in not only through emotional support sometimes, but financial as well. And it, it really gave us a really awesome footing, but it really just came from the power of relationships, talking to people, getting out there, going to those meetups or, or whatever it is where you're talking to people who are, who are successful in that space and getting referrals and helping to connect the dots um, to be successful. But with that nonprofit, honestly, we said we had this project there's a lot of potential. We knew the numbers, right? We had to analyze the deal and analyze it well. Um, and we always say now, if, you know, if the numbers work, the money will come. And, and we were able to articulate, this is what we see for this neighborhood. There's a lot of potential here. Here are the numbers. And this is what we need. And all of the dots connected. I love that. That is amazing. So from there, I mean, that gave you, I know it gave you a ton of experiences. It gave you a ton of knowledge, but it also gave you a ton of confidence, right? Absolutely. What's the progression from there? I mean, you started off, you went into this deal thinking that you were going to wholesale the deal. And I mean, that was completely like, you went totally like 360, right? Mm-hmm. So now that you've completed this first deal, what do you think is possible for Kiara? And, and where, do you, where do you start? I know you got into development, but was this the very next thing? And kind of walk me through that next progression. Yeah, so, so the one of the biggest seeds that was planted from one of the biggest things that got planted from that first deal was being able to leverage OPM, other people's money, getting creative with your finances. So the second deal that we did was actually a seller financing deal. So again, that confidence and the confidence to have the conversation and build relationships. So we were were confident enough to to ask, to talk to the seller, um, and we got them to seller finance that second deal where we were able to, um, I think we bought it for like 26, they financed it, we did about a 10 to $15,000 renovation to that house. And so we did that. So we were all into the house, maybe what, $45,000 around there. Um, Now, houses in that same neighborhood are selling for like 170, and that was six years ago. But we did. We kept on that that path of of creative financing, seller financing, and then we used a private lender. And so we just kept being really creative with how we put deals together and creative in solving problems and figuring out how to just get things done. When did you have this, or maybe it was your husband? When you say we, are you just referring to you and your husband, or is there a bigger team? Yeah, it's me and my husband. Okay. Me and my okay. husband. So, um, it's, it's a two-person show. 
Yeah. And it's been a two-person show all this time? This whole time, two-person show. So now we have more of a staff. So we'll have, um, like, we have people on our team now, but from, like, a who's doing it, what's behind it, it's just me and my husband. Okay. When you guys had this thought that, you know, we're, we're doing good for ourselves, we're, we're, we're learning our trade, we're getting more and more deals, we're becoming savvy investors, there was a, there was a moment in which you thought, that, hey, I could actually help other people get started. When, when was this moment for you? And, and what were some of those initial ideas? Yeah. So we, were pro- we probably had about um, five or six units, maybe. And we started to think about how it felt like almost we were doing a disservice by not talking to people, not telling people what we were doing. And we were thinking about the community of Baltimore and how much value would be added to the city if there were people who were buying property who cared about the community and not just the dollar and balancing kind of that, kind of like those, that social entrepreneurship, but in real estate, right? How do I add value to people as I'm developing communities? And we realized we couldn't do it all ourselves, right? That's a two person show. And so by sharing information and by interacting with people and telling our story, um, our hope was that it would inspire, motivate and inform other people to be, you know, to kind of take that same route and again, do it better and faster and smarter so that we together can kind of change what investors, what real estate investors look like and what they do and how they think and how they interact with like tenants and and the community that already lives in the neighborhoods and all those types of things. So when we think about gentrification and, and kind of that being such a bad word, but if we take that and we, we arm those developers and those investors with this mindset of community development and adding value as you're earning value, then you really take the sting out of that word and it becomes something that is just pushing communities forward and giving people the resources that they deserve in their neighborhoods. Wow. I love that. I love that so much. So let's let's talk about that really quick because I don't think I've ever talked about that on the show. So when you're on the topic of gentrification and you're in the community, I know that the language is a bit different than you talking to investors and private money lenders and, and, and people like that. So what's the language that you're having with the community members and how are you getting them on board with some of the things that are going on? Yeah, I think what's first and foremost, you have to understand what it is that people want. What do they need? The people have lived there for, you know, 10, 15, 20, 30, 50 years. What is it that they're looking for? And a lot of times they want the same things that developers want to bring, right? Grocery stores and food deserts. We're really, we have a lot of food deserts in Baltimore. Just services, laundromat, like just things for people to be able to, to live and thrive in their own neighborhoods. And they do, they want the vacant school and they don't want these houses that are falling down or boarded up where crime or, or whatever is happening inside of them, right? People don't want that in their neighborhood. But what, they, but what happens with gentrification, if you're not careful and you're not communicating with the people that are there, you, ended up, you end up hurting them as you're helping them. So if I go into a neighborhood, for example, our block, right? We're going into this neighborhood and we're, we're flipping these houses. We're buying these houses for, for relatively cheap uh, and we're able to sell them for, you know, mid 200,000s, caught that, right? What we are really intentional about doing is connecting with the people who already own over there so they understand um, programs that helps, help protect them from their taxes skyrocketing. 
And when their taxes skyrocket and they're on fixed income, they can't make that adjustment. And if it goes up really fast, they can't afford it. They end up in, in tax liens and all this other kind of stuff and can't afford to live in the house, right? So we'll make sure we're informing them, okay, there's something called the homestead tax credit where you can um, kind of shield yourself from that, that drastic increase in your taxes so that you're able to stay in your home and benefit from the fact that I'm flipping these houses because your house is going to appreciate in value as well, right? And so those types of things, those types of conversations and just being thoughtful about the process from a macro perspective so that we are, not only are we earning, right? We're not a nonprofit. Not only are we earning, but we're adding value and leaving positivity in the communities that we're working in. This is this is by far the best way I've heard of buying back the block. The way you've enunciated everything, I think this is amazing, and I think what you what you guys are doing is spectacular. So, uh, hats off to you guys. Now let's let's get let's get to present day. I mean, what is your vision now? Like, what do you now that you're? I mean, I know like five, seven, ten years ago, you didn't even think you'd be where you are now. But now that you're here, every time we get to a new accomplishment, we get to a new goal, we can see a new horizon, right? So now your goals are that much more bigger, that much more vast. What are you thinking now as far as business, but not only business, lifestyle design for yourself and your family? Yeah. So, I mean, we have, I have a five-year-old daughter. Um, and so between the, the three of us, it's constantly a, about one generational wealth, like making sure that she is forever set. Um, and not only that she is um, set just in and of herself, but she understands what mommy and daddy does how money works, right? We're not, ain't no free lunch around here. <laughs> um, so you go gonna add value yourself, but that she is set, right? That my family understands what's going on so that they can be put in a, a position of success. And then for us, right, we're, we're young 30. I just turned 30. So um, really, you know, I, <laughs> we always say we punch in our 20s, right? And just skip the whole thing. And so we're really working towards um, making sure that we are, that we're giving ourselves a little bit of a breather. So in here, somewhere in this 30, we're going to have a good time and travel mm -hmm. with something that, um, that's really important to us. But what's, what's funny is every time we say we're going to take a break, another opportunity presents itself. And, um, so I feel like our work isn't quite done yet. I think that there's some things that we still have to accomplish, um, and take advantage of right now. And then soon enough, I, I hope to, kind of get a couple extra stamps on this passport here. I love it. I love it. What's a new project that's under the hood that you haven't yet shared with the public? <laughs> uh, okay. Um, so there are, there are a few. So we, we, um, we definitely are thoughtful about, about what we share, which interesting is through the interactions that we have through our own, uh, our own investments. And then Clil actually, we got asked to work with a commercial developer in Baltimore to help them transition into doing more residential work, which gave us that much more exposure to what happens and how things really work and, and how like the big boys are, are doing development, which has opened more doors for us. So um, you'll definitely start hearing eventually start hearing about more of these larger um, larger projects where we are directly in partnership with the city to rebuild Baltimore and it's it's amazing it's it's very it's exciting humbling and completely terrifying but in a great way that we are getting tapped to be part of these conversations um be part of these these um development projects with the city 
And we're also doing some things on with affordable housing right now um, in partnership with some, some nonprofits in the city as well. So we're all over the place. We definitely don't share everything on social media. So that's actually a really good question, but there's, there's a lot, a lot in the works to, to really push Baltimore forward. And we're really excited about being at the forefront and having that seat at the table. Um, yeah. I want to first talk about some of your earlier deals and maybe how you found those deals. Like what, what are some of your lead sources and where are you getting, where are you, where are you finding your deals from? Yeah. So we do a lot of marketing ourselves. So actually even the, um, even the block that we have, we actually did some direct marketing. Some of the same things that people talk about doing for wholesaling, we do that, but we just keep the properties. Even if sometimes we plan on wholesaling, we, we just end up keeping them anyway. Um, so that's a really big one. We're, we're still old school. Um, we still will send letters. Our letters are dope. People call them, call us back with them. We have a really great strategy for that. Um, and then we talk to people and we're building relationships, right? That same foundational piece. We also work a lot with wholesalers. Um, so we have, good Lord, I probably get 100, 200 emails a day. They wear me out. But some of the deals are really good. And we have no problem paying wholesalers for great deals. Um, so that is definitely a major funnel for us. And then as we have told our story, shared what we're doing, shared what we're trying to accomplish, people just reach out like, hey, you know, my cousin's uncle passed away and we have this house. And of course, the first thing we do is here's how you keep it, because we think it's really important that people try to keep those assets in the family. And remember the blood, sweat and tears your uncle put into to giving you that house free and clear. But if push comes to shove, we will absolutely take it. And so people will um, will call us and, and uh, pitch us deals as well. So those are probably our three main funnels right now. I love that. When you talk about uh, the fact that I guess wholesalers can bring you deals, what do you what do you look for in some of these deal, deals that these wholesalers are bringing you? First and foremost, um, when a wholesaler sends me a deal, I am looking for numbers that make sense, right? Like sometimes wholesalers or, or usually new new wholesalers will just make up numbers, and that drives me physically insane. <laughs> so um, so definitely that that that. Um, analysis in, in the deal makes sense or if they didn't know they left it they didn't share that information you didn't just make anything up right I'm, I'm the expert I can figure out the numbers myself but if you just send me whatever your emails probably gonna get deleted so so that's number one and you know number two I think that there's there's definitely there's definitely a clear difference between new wholesalers and, and folks who you know, our investors who are wholesaling because the, the quality of what's being sent is, is definitely different. I'm, I'm of the school of thought that wholesaling is a great ROI and I get the, the why it looks great to start there. But I think that there's a lot of things that you have to know and understand and kind of stretch your muscles as an investor. So you understand what the numbers really are before you start sending stuff out. But, but yeah, I'm first and foremost, I'm not going to look at the numbers. Do the numbers make sense at all? <laughs> got you, got you, got you. And I do have a, a question from a listener of the show, uh, specifically for you guys in the, in the DMV area. Um, how do pre foreclosures work? I know here in Texas, we have we go to auction once a month, but it seems like you guys, um, you guys have something different. Yeah, auction days. <laughs> so pre foreclosures. So that's 
what happens is if you get so far behind on on your mortgage and it depends with different banks there's a list that they'll put you on and pre foreclosures means that a bank has basically put on notice you and the public um, that you're behind on your mortgage and so you can actually get a list or you can use some of the online sources you can use like Zillow or Redfin or whatever and search through and find pre foreclosures here we would we would pull a list get pre-foreclosures and reach out to the owners and figure out what's going on and if there's a way we can make a deal out of it. But that's usually how pre-foreclosures work. You're going to get get a list or create a list based on the the bank's notices for pre-foreclosures. And those lists they're they're being updated every every so often. So how often should you should you guys and like like I said for us we we pull the list like once a month and that'll be we know like our next auction date is May 7th. So the list that I have today is good until May 7th, but you guys have auctions every day it seems like. So how often will you need to be pulling lists? Yeah, so I mean so really I would say you should pull a list probably around once a month, maybe once every two months. And then from there, you're going to be able to see who is consistently on there and be able to um, to follow up. That's probably the biggest thing. That's what people don't do um, to be successful is you might have one list in January and they don't respond, but you should be reaching out to them again in July, whether they're on that list or not. Um, and so kind of being consistent with your with your marketing and with your list is really important. I love that. Okay, cool. So we have a foundation of just finding leads and marketing. Now, everybody out there who's looking to become a real estate investor, maybe even become a wholesaler, and they're like, I don't have any money. What do I do? And you talk about this concept. I talk about this concept all the time of OPM, but what does that actually mean for me? It's crazy because I talk to a ton of people. And one of the first things that they tell me is I don't have money. I mean, that's, of course, you know, it's the top response. And then my first response to that is, have you ever heard of? Do you know anybody in this world who's ever gotten started in whatever it is that you're looking to do without whatever it is that you don't have? And the answer is always yes. So if you know that somebody else has done it, there's a way to do it. And especially with real estate, you hear it every day on infomercials, on social media. I mean, it's almost like you hear it to the point where you see it to the point to where you start filtering it out and you ignore it. So let's talk about ways to get started in real estate using OPM, what are, what are some of the strategies that you guys are, are teaching and telling people that they can get started and how are they, how should they go about that process? Yeah. So first and foremost, we are, we're so big on mindset. So we start on that, right? And people's understanding and relationship with money. So I think a lot of times you're born and you grow up with this scarcity mindset. We make sure that people understand, first of all, there are no limits, right? The limits do not exist, right? The only limits that you have are ones that you put on yourself. That's number one. Number two, I love to remind people that money, cash dollars are literally printed 24 hours a day, seven days a week, right? Constantly out of a printer, right? Why can that that not be yours, Mm -hmm. right? And so we have these conversations about, about abundance mindsets and limiting factors and making sure people understand that money is not limited. You are limiting yourself. That's number one. Number two, with, with creative financing, your limits are, your limit there is only based on what you're willing to ask for and what you're willing to learn. Because once you learn it and you know how to ask for it, the doors are all open. And so with OPM, we talk all about seller financing, nonprofit lenders that no one really thinks about, right? But that's kind of how we got started. So I've never thought about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, nonprofit lenders. And there's, there are nonprofit lenders all over the country. Um, so it was not unique. And we talk about 
you know, subject to and how do you leverage all of these different strategies to make what you're trying to do work? Because there's always someone who is willing um, or able or in a position to either lend to you or hold a note, right, and, and sell or finance to you or whatever. It's just a matter of you figuring out what you need and and being really specific about your marketing and your approach and what you're trying to accomplish to, to attract that and give yourself the opportunity to be successful. I love that. I want to ask your opinion on, on something. And I know it's probably 50-50 with investors. Mm-hmm. When you think about going, jumping into real estate, do you want a new individual to focus more so on honing in on one specific strategy and perfecting that strategy, such as wholesaling? Or would you rather that individual focus on honing in on a specific type of individual, like a motivated seller, and focusing on how to solve that person's problem? Mm-hmm. So that's a really good question. I think, um, and I'm going to answer that by not answering it at all. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> My, um, what I would do honestly is take all of what is your goal, right? And I like to work with people to map their approach based on their goal, because a lot of times that'll push them to whatever approach makes the most sense. Um, and so if someone is, you know, they, they just want to retire, they're not worried about a whole bunch of stuff. They just want to be able to have something uh, when they retire. Okay, well, that's going to give you give me a different understanding of what you should do versus someone that's like, I need a quick pop of cash and I need it now. And, and so then that might, you know, I might push them in a different direction. So really, I usually push them, push someone to really understanding and identify their goals and figuring out why they haven't gotten started to date and working on those two things and push them from there. Lifestyle Design Acceleration Hacks. What is your favorite Before the Millions book? My favorite book, I read it every single year at the top of the year, is Think and Grow Rich. Again, it's a theme I've said it a million times. I'm all about mindset and I love the abundance mindset that they have in that book. You are spot on. I love that book as well. Mm-hmm. What is your favorite lifestyle design app? This can be a business app or tool. Um, the app that has been going crazy during this whole podcast is Slack. So that is, is, that what that is? <laughs> one of the, one of the many um, that has been going crazy, but Slack. So we manage, um, the whole team has access and we can communicate about all different projects because we have so much going on. We have like a million channels and that's how we keep everything straight. I love it. What do you enjoy most about the way your lifestyle is currently designed? My lifestyle is is designed around me, right? I set my own schedule. Um, I take on projects that I want to take on. It gets really busy, but that's my choice. And I like to have the choice. When you think about the difference between mommy Kira versus another mommy who has a full-time job, does your five-year-old notice that mommy's able to be around more or mommy's able to do certain things that other moms aren't able to do? Is she Is she starting to come into realization of some of those things? Absolutely. Michaela says mommy's the boss. So Michaela understands mommy's the boss. Michaela understands. Um, she's been um, right by my side as I've, I've fired contractors before. And so now she's like, mommy fires people. So she gets it. Um, she understands what's going on. And that is so exciting and empowering for me. And I know it is for her as well. That is awesome. What were the sacrifices that you knew you had to make before the millions to get to where you are today? 
sacrifice. There's just so many, right? Not, you know, not traveling, not going out. I pumped it in my whole 20s. So everything, all the fun stuff everyone in their 20s did, I skipped that part. And not only had a business that I was building um, with my husband, but I had a husband and I had a child, right? So I was, I was doing a whole lot of adulting um, when a lot of people were having fun, but I think it's all going to even out here soon. So it'll be you're just right. Fine. You're right. Delayed gratification. Well, it's not even delayed gratification. I mean, it's just a different type of gratification and it's the Absolutely. best one, right? So Absolutely. I love that. Uh, who was essential to your growth before the millions and why? Um, so because my hus- husband's not on here, he, he definitely deserves a shout out for- Y'all normally do the interviews together? Sometimes we'll do them together. We'll, we'll do them separately. I do most of the podcast because he's doing some of the, um, those larger commercial uh, development projects that we're involved in. So he's, he's usually moving and shaking, um, but he's really dope as well. So maybe you can, uh, you can do one with him. But, but yeah, so he's awesome and has kept me motivated and just, you know, he's, he's the yin to my yang. So he's pretty dope. So last but not least, why do you think so many of us are stuck before the millions, even though we have every intention of getting to the millions? I think it's fear. I think it's fear and it's mindset and just getting out of our own way and understanding that we are worthy of wealth. As my friend uh, Kendra, the key resource says, we're worthy of wealth and, and you're worthy of it. And you know, all you have to do is reach out and go ahead and get it. Hustle, you're gonna hustle a little bit, right? You might break a sweat. But a lot of times, um, things that are worth it are disguised as hard work. So um, we're worthy of wealth. I love it. I love it. Like I said, Kira, this has been an amazing podcast episode. I can't wait to get this out to the listeners. It's been simply phenomenal. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much. Hey, just a quick reminder. I am hosting a webinar tonight. Look, head over to beforethemillions.com forward slash webinar. If you are looking to change your life, if you are looking to build a real estate system that is going to allow you to make passive income that's going to allow you to travel, leave the rat race, quit your job, do whatever it is that you've been called to do in this world. Real estate is the vehicle that can help you get there. I have a system, a proven system that is going to help you get there in two or three years. Head over to beforethemillions.com forward slash webinar and attend my live, live webinar tonight. Again, beforethemillions.com forward slash webinar.